morning, everyone. For you watching online, good morning to you and down in F3 as well. Glad you are joining with us. If you are a guest again, thanks for being here. Um, I'm sure you've all heard the phrase or maybe even used it, practice what you preach, right? That's an old maxim that says uh, usually it's a retort to somebody who, uh, you know, talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk, kind of a hypocrite to... Uh, their behavior doesn't match what they say. Practice what you preach. It's an age-old, uh, timeless maxim. Um, there was a, uh, a Roman, an ancient Roman playwright by the name of Titus um, Machius Plautus, who wrote, um, he wrote comedic plays 200 years before Christ. And some of his works are still... Um, we still have them today. And he used the line in one of his plays, practice what you preach. It's an old, old, timeless maxim. In uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus warned his uh, disciples and the people about the Pharisees, who he said, do not do what, he said, um, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Practice what you preach. Now, the Apostle Paul was a man who practiced what he preached. He wrote a letter to the Roman church about three years before the events that we're going to read today in Acts chapter 28. But he wrote a letter to the Roman church. And he says, I, I can't wait to come to you. I want to impart to you a, a, a spirit, my spiritual gifts to you. I want to be mutually encouraged by you, he said in chapter 1. But he said this, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I'm going to come to Rome. I'm going to share with you the good news of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And what we've seen in our study of the book of Acts, that seemed like wherever Paul went and traveled, the cities he would go to on his missionary journeys, where would he begin? He'd go find the synagogues. If there was a synagogue there, he'd find the, the Jewish community to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he would share Jesus with that Jewish community first. In Acts chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, Luke writes, now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. That's the custom of Paul. Because he practiced what he preached to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. It was his custom. Now, we come today to the last section of the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts for the last year. And we're wrapping it up in this last section this morning. So take your Bibles, turn to me to Acts chapter 28, and we'll start with verse 17. And we'll see once again that Paul practiced what he preached. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. And the first part of verse 17 says this. And after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, it says he began saying to them, three days after Paul gets to Rome, he calls the leaders of the Jewish enclave there 
in Rome. It was his custom. You practice what you preach to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Um, he gathers them together. And if we keep reading, it says in verse, uh, last part of verse 17, he gathers them together and he says, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. And for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. So he gathers the Jews together. He's only been there three days. Remember the shipwreck in Malta, and then the, they, three months later, they, they, they arrive in Rome. He's in his, his privately rented quarters. He's under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. Gather the Jewish leaders. I want to talk with them. I want to talk with them. Um, I think what Paul, one of the things Paul is trying to do here is squelch any rumors that might have preceded his arrival in Rome from Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem about who he was. Uh, remember that Paul, when he was back in prison in Judea, in Caesarea, he was seen by, by Felix, the governor, and then Festus, the governor, and Agrippa II, the king. For those two years, he, had, he was a marked man. The Jewish leaders of Jerusalem wanted to kill him. They had plotted every which way, but they were always thwarted in those plots. But they were trying to get rid of Paul. He lived with that threat constantly. Now, I think Paul is trying to, again, squelch potential rumors because if they, which they knew he was going to Rome, if they had sent couriers on ahead and said, let us tell you about Paul, watch out for him. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is anti-Jewish to the core. And so he says, again, brethren, though I, though I, though I had done nothing wrong, nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. I could have been released, Paul said. Felix, Festus, uh, you know, they, they were willing to release me. I could have been released. I've done nothing wrong. They're, they're, all the charges against me from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem have not stuck. But here I am, and I've appealed to Caesar. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but um, let me read a little bit into it. Um, I, I have a sneaky suspicion, a sneaky suspicion that the Jews there in Rome had gotten very nervous that Paul was in town. Very nervous. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a, a historical background of, of why that was so. I mean, these were real people living in a real time, and there was, they had experienced some real issues. Back about 11 years before, this, what we're reading here is taking place around AD 60. And about 11 years before, in AD 49, the emperor of Rome, Claudius, 
had had it up to here with the Jewish people, and he kicked them out of Rome. Now, we read that back in Acts chapter 18. There was a little passing verse that said uh, about Aquila and Priscilla, and they had been kicked out of Rome like all the Jews under Claudius's reign. Historically, we know that is true. 480, 49, the Jews were kicked out of, out of Rome. But why? Well, about 70 years after that event had happened, there's a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius who wrote about that. And what Suetonius wrote is that Claudius kicked the Jews out, not for, you know, any, no reason at all. He kicked them out because they were causing commotion, rioting. Rioting, Suetonius says, over someone named Christos. Now, we don't know for sure, but probably a very good educated guess is that the Lord Jesus Christ was being proclaimed. He is the Messiah. You Jews killed him at the hands of the Romans, but he is alive. God raised him from the dead. Just what we saw in the book of, uh, book of Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached that same sermon on the day of Pentecost. You put him to death by the hands of God and some men, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter said back in Acts chapter 2, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has raised up this Jesus and he's proclaimed him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus who you crucified. And if you remember that story back in Acts chapter 2, the Jewish people in Jerusalem said, oh my, what, what should we do then? Well, something was going on in Rome in AD 49, rioting over, according to Suetonius, somebody named Christos, and Claudius kicked all the Jews out. Now, Claudius died in AD 54, five years later. And so, over the next months and few years, the Jewish people begin to filter back into Rome reclaiming maybe their homes and their businesses because they lost it all. Well, now it's six years later since Claudius has died. Jews have come back into Rome. And Paul, the famous young upstart rising star of Judaism, the Pharisee of Pharisees who's turned to be a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth is in town. And he's going to talk to Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar. And the last thing these Jews in Rome needed was for Paul to come into town and stir things up, and they get kicked out again. That's the last thing they wanted. They've gone through that before. They don't need it again. They're trying to keep a very low profile. Very nervous. And that's why Paul says, by the way, what he said, um, in verse um, 20, I requested, therefore, to see you, to speak with you, for I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. I'm not wearing this chain to come before Caesar and, um, and bring, bring, a, bring a suit against Judaism. In fact, all that that um, there's legalese language there in verse 17. Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people 
or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, verse 18, they were willing to release me because there was no ground, there was no charge, That's a, it's a legal term, there's no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation, verse 19. Again, that's legalese language. So what Paul is trying to do and assure these Jewish people, he said, call the, Jews, the leaders together. They're nervous. I'm in town. I understand it. They've gone through a lot just a few years before. They're trying to reclaim their, their life here in Rome. And so he gathers them together. He said, look, I, I'm not here to bring a charge against the Jews before Caesar. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not bringing an accusation against my nation. My nation. He said, I'm here because of the hope of Israel. I'm for Israel, Paul is saying. I love Israel. I'm here for the hope of Israel. It's a phrase that was used in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah said, O Lord, you are the hope of Israel, and all who forsake you will be put to shame. For Jeremiah, the hope of Israel was Jehovah God. For the apostle Paul, the hope of Israel was Jesus Christ who was Jehovah, the hope of Israel. Well, we keep reading, verse 21 says, And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. So the Jewish delegation is, whether that was true or not, we don't know. But they were saying, well, we, we haven't heard anything. No, you don't cool it, Paul. Hey, just chill. We, we haven't heard anything. Nothing bad about you. No bad reports. No slander in any way except, except the sect that you're propagating. No bad reports about you, Paul, but there are some bad reports about Christianity. See verse 22? We desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. This sect. It is spoken against everywhere. In, um, during this time, in, in those early years of the church, um, Christianity, what we've read in the book of Acts, was viewed as, from the Roman perspective, it was viewed as just kind of a, a family squabble within Judaism. Early Christians were just viewed as Jews that maybe had a little different opinion, which was helpful because Rome uh, saw Judaism as a legitimate religion. They, they, they had said, it's okay for you to practice your Judaism. And so early Christianity was viewed as nothing more than Judaism from the Roman mindset, so Christians were free to worship. And, but the Jews knew they were different. The Jews knew these early Christians were followers of, of this, this dead Nazarene, Jesus, who they are claiming to be the Messiah. That's why they were trying to silence them, put them to death. We, we want to hear what you say, Paul, but we're really nervous about this, this offshoot, this sect, because everything we hear is not good about that. And so, here's Paul meeting with the 
Jewish leadership in Rome, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. They don't want any troubles. They're trying to keep a low profile. They're willing to hear Paul. They're interested in what he might say, but they already have some skewed views about Christianity. It's not well thought of. And so they all agree to meet together again. Verse 23 says, And when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Paul, we want to hear what you say. We're really nervous about this sect of Christianity. But let's get together. Let's get other people together. And let's hear what you have to say. They set that date. They come together in Paul's rented quarters. Because again, he's under house arrest. And what an amazing Bible study this must have been. As Paul opens up the Old Testament scriptures. And from Moses and, and, the, and the prophets. From morning until evening. What a Bible study. He persuades them concerning Jesus, the kingdom of God. Hour upon hour, I can almost see it happen. He started with the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. He went to those earliest prophecies of a coming one, the, the, the head crusher of chapter 3 of Genesis, who would crush the serpent's head. Talked about all those little prophecies, the promises of, that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He continued on through all those laws, pointing out the, the, um, the uh, unique analogies and even the typologies that were probably there about this coming one. I'm sure he dwelt a little bit of time with Abraham when he sacrificed, he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Oh, I'm sure Paul had a wonderful time unpacking the scriptures, pointing them to the kingdom of God, concerning Jesus, persuading them. On and on he went. Paul loved the Jewish people. I'm not here, he said in Rome, to bring an accusation against my nation. I'm in chains for the hope of Israel. I care for Israel. We, we see this heart for Paul in a passage he wrote to the Roman church, again, three years earlier in Romans chapter 9. He said, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren who are Israelites. Paul cared about the Jewish people. And he practiced what he preached to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so here he is with these people, these Jewish people, the leaders in Rome of the Jewish enclave in Rome. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, prophecy after prophecy, building this rock-solid, absolute solid case that Jesus was the Messiah. What were the results? Verse 24 tells us some were being persuaded by the things Paul spoke, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving. 
others would not believe. I'm sure it broke Paul's heart. So clearly laid out in the Scriptures. Unmistakable evidence that pointed to Jesus. Passage after passage, and some would not believe. It's a, it's a characteristic of the Jewish people down through the centuries, through the millennia of time. The stiff-necked, rebellious people. Paul experienced that on his missionary journeys. He would start in the synagogues, and they would stone him or run him out. Paul gives a, a one final statement in verse 25, a warning. He says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, and now he quotes from Isaiah 6, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with the ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. And what God is saying, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, 10, what he's saying in that passage, enough's enough. Over and over and over again. That's 8th century B.C., the prophet Isaiah. Over and over, we went through that years ago. Over and over and over again, the, the people heard the good news and they rejected it time and time and time again. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah saw it in chapter 6. I saw the Lord in his temple in that vision in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And he falls to his knees. I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm among the people of unclean lips, of unclean hearts. What do you want me to do, Lord? He said, go and preach to these people, but they will not see, they will not understand. I'm closing their hearts. They have hardened them against me. It's a Romans 1 situation. In Romans chapter 1, there's that passage that says, God gave them over. God gave them over. If, that, if that's the way you want to be, if you want to keep rejecting me, then have at it. This passage, by the way, is so important. This Isaiah passage, it's quoted six times in the New Testament. It's quoted one time in each of the first six books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Six times. God's people in Isaiah's day, and now it's being repeated right now in Paul's day. In A.D. 60-61, the people have closed their heart to the Lord, God. So Paul says in verse 28 and 29, he says, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And maybe you could capitalize that S. This hope of Israel, this deliverer, this Messiah, this Savior has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. Paul had practiced what he preached. He had written the church in Rome three years earlier, and he says, I want to come. I want to, I want to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And he did that. 
he preached the good news of the hope of Israel to the Jews. Some were persuaded. The rest walked out and would not believe. And so Luke comes to the end of his two-volume work. Volume one was the Gospel of Luke, where he writes to his friend Theophilus at the first chapter, and he says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The, the, the work of Jesus, um, the Gospel of Luke. But volume two, the implication is, I'm writing volume two about all that Jesus continued to do and teach. Volume one, when he lived among us and walked among us. Volume two, when he lived and walked and talked through the empowerment and the lives of the, of the disciples and the followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are two final verses. Verse 30 and 31 read this. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Interesting. He stays for two years in his rented quarters and he preaches the kingdom of God and all about the Lord Jesus Christ, unhindered with confidence. Luke has finished his story. His two-volume work is now finished. He lays down his quill. But God's story, well, it was, it was almost like it was just beginning. The triumph of the gospel, that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. The triumph of the gospel, and it continues. Paul, in his rented quarters for two years, it continued unhindered as he shared. But he was also, it says, preaching the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been with our study in the book of Acts, we have now come full circle because in the very opening chapter, the very third verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read that's exactly what Jesus did. After he was resurrected from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples. And verse 3 of Acts chapter 1 says he spent 40 days doing what? Teaching them about the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus was doing? He was going back through all those prophecies. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel. He was talking about the hope of Israel, the coming of Messiah, God reigning through the Messiah. It was very clear, very well defined. Jesus did not stutter when he talked on the kingdom of God to the disciples for 40 days. In fact, so clear was it, and we saw this in uh, years seemed like ago, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples come to him and says, Lord, is, is it now? I mean, they're out there on Mount of Olives and they're right outside Jerusalem. Is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now that you're going to set up your, your, your kingdom there in Jerusalem and reign supreme and overthrow the Romans and... and, and your righteousness and your holiness and your justice will reign over this world like the prophets had spoken, where the lion will lie down with the lamb? Is it now you go to restore the kingdom? And Jesus, remember, said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed. 
you'd just be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That's all you need to know. Witness of me that I died and paid the penalty for sin. And I'm alive. I was raised to life. Seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for his people. I once was dead, now I'm alive. Go witness to who I am. The king. The disciples picked up on that kingdom teaching. And in that early church, that Jewish church in Jerusalem, they preached the kingdom of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the king who was coming again, the hope of Israel. We come full circle because the last verses in Acts, Paul is doing the same thing. He is speaking of the things, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with confidence, with confidence. There's a coming day, the Apostle Paul would teach, when the hope of Israel is going to return. That God is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. Yes, there is the kingdom of God that is pervasive and is all-encompassing. And God reigns over all his creation and has from the moment he spoke it into existence. That kingdom of God has never ended. But what Acts has been talking about there in chapter 1, and again I think what Paul is saying here, is that there is a hope of Israel. And he's coming again. And just like the Old Testament prophets had prophesied, he's going to return. His feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come into Jerusalem, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to reign on the throne of his father David. That's what Luke started his two-volume work with in Luke chapter uh, 1 with uh, the announcement from Gabriel. You call his name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins, but he's going to sit on the throne of his father David and he's going to reign. The hope of Israel is going to come again. But the wonderful good news this morning is that that hope of Israel is for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. For anyone who comes and realizes there's no way on God's green earth that I'm ever going to get to heaven on my own. I need a Savior. I need the salvation of Israel. I need Jesus who came and he died on the cross and he paid for our sins in total. He left his throne in glory, took on humanity, became fully a slave, a servant, and he died the most cruelest of deaths as a sacrificial payment to satisfy God's holy righteous demands, a payment for sin, our sin, your sin, my sin. And Jesus did that. 2,000 years ago, he climbed up that cross. He willingly died and paid for our sins. And the Father was so pleased, he raised him from the dead on the third day. Triumphant. And he offers the free gift. He offers the only hope that this world has. The free gift of eternal life. 
through Jesus Christ by simply putting our trust and faith in him. You put your trust in Christ and him alone. You have that hope, and it'll never be taken away from you. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. His payment for your sins is secured, and one day he will welcome you into his presence. Our hope. If you know him, you've received the hope of Israel. And so the gospel will continue to triumph. You know, in, a, in another week, um, we're going to have, we're going to have uh, friends of ours and partners of ours, and some are already here, but are coming in from around the world in our Global Missions Week. Global church partners, fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And if you come and participate in, in those events, and next Sunday and the following Sunday, the, the 15th of October as well, um, you will hear uh, stories, and you will see firsthand, you will witness the triumph of the gospel. You see, the book of Acts might be over, chapter 28. We close it, we're done. But Acts 29 is continued. <laughs> what we're living out today, and what you will hear from around the world, is that the gospel continues to triumph. People are turning to Christ all over this world. Churches are being established. The, the, the witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the world is continuing. And we get to celebrate that during our Global Church Week. We get to celebrate what God is doing. And we will see it. We will see the book of Acts lived out again because it's not over. It continues. Because the triumph of the gospel moves forward. Jesus had promised, I will build my church. I want you to partner with me. Be my witnesses in your Jerusalem, in your Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Let this good news of the gospel transform you. Live it out through your life. Be a witness to this world that there's hope. There's the hope of Israel. And Jesus promises the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel triumphs. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that this book has been given to us, divinely inspired, written down by a, a good doctor, Dr. Luke, who shared with us wonderful histories of the beginnings of the church. But Father, that church is continuing to this very day. We're so grateful, Father, that we have a message to share to the world, a message of hope. It's the hope of Israel. A Messiah has come. Lord Jesus, you are you're the completion of all those prophecies, the fulfillment of it all. You're the great sacrificial payment for our sins. You are the resurrected Lord. You are the King. You're coming again, and you're going to set up that kingdom. It's our hope, Father, that we can proclaim to the world who you are, just like Paul did. And as we do, we're so grateful, Father, that we can personally witness the triumph of the gospel continuing. 
and live out and experience that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail. We're so grateful for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.